to In the Odd at MSU, a behind-the-scenes look at Michigan State University Department of Theater's productions and special projects. The Department of Theater has over eight different performance venues on campus. Most of these spaces, along with classrooms and design labs, are housed in the historic Michigan State University Auditorium building. A crazy amount of creativity and experiential learning happens in the auditorium, but as is often in the case of performing arts, the audiences only see the finished product. This podcast serves to shine a light on how the faculty of the MSU Department of Theater are training future practitioners of the performing arts to challenge and redefine traditional theater as an artistic response to an ever-changing world. A look at what happens in the odd. I am so excited to introduce myself as the new In the Odd co-host. My name is Brie Kubiak, and I'm a junior BFA stage management major and a serious podcast enthusiast. I am also the stage manager for the show that is the topic of the pod today. Our first production of the spring 2020 semester is Into the Woods. It opens on Friday, February 14th in the Fairchild Theater. My guests today are director and assistant professor of acting, voice, and speech, Derek McNish, and actor Vaughn Haynes. Welcome to In the Odd. When this musical of familiar fairy tale characters was on Broadway, it took home the 1988 Tony Award for Best Original Score by Stephen Sondheim and Best Book of a Musical by James Lapine. It was last produced at Michigan State in 2004. So my first question is to Derek. Aside from being a popular musical, why produce it in 2020? What about the themes and storylines of the show will speak to a modern audience? Thank you for uh, thank you for having me. I'm pleased to be here, and I think that's a great place to start. You know, Into the Woods, this you know '80s musical that popped up at the end of the Reagan era. Why now? I think that's a really good question. I mean, first of all, it's it's timeless, right? There are themes, there are there are endless themes that apply to people, just like these fairy tales that Sondheim and Lapine were exploring that have been around for so long. They're just as relevant now. But this particular moment in time, I think is a great time to explore this piece. The um, for me, as I was taking my first pass at this show, among all the many themes that that came out, um, the the two that really landed with me were about um, resilience and about community. And you know, here at MSU, here in Michigan, here in the United States, right now, those are things that we're all grappling with. Um, so yeah, and um, our 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 dramaturg uh, Laura McDonald was talking to me recently about all the really interesting parallels between the eight, 1987 when Sondheim and Lapine were writing this and and now in terms of the geopolitical situation, in terms of uncertainty, in terms of um, just the, the things that people were struggling with in their daily lives. So I think like any great piece of theater, there's so much to explore. There's so much to dive into in this piece that we could probably we could probably find its relevance, you know, in the future going forward too. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you want to talk a little bit about the design concept and what you envision for this production in particular? Yeah. Um, so we are setting this in um, 1932 and 1933. Derek, that's oddly specific. Um, it's because uh, I was I was at the Detroit Institute of Art, and there's a mural um, it, that if you've been there, you're familiar with it. It's a it's a, a massive mural called Detroit Industry, and um, looking at the looking at the paint, looking at the mural, looking at the characters in there. It was painted by Diego Rivera, 
and um, after visiting Detroit industry sites like the the Ford uh, Rouge plant, Ford River Rouge plant, or something like that. I don't know. Um, so he 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 captured these characters, and I was seeing the sort of optimism in this juxtaposed against the Great Depression, against the 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 oncoming uh, war in Europe. Um, right after the, you know, the optimism of the the roaring 20s. So in that mural, I was really inspired. And I thought this, this musical would sit really well with 1930s Detroit as a context. So that's really where it all started. And then from there, we have a fantastic production team, um, awesome designers that, that range from undergraduate students to graduate students to faculty that really took that idea and then ran with it. So now, you know, it's sort of evolved a little bit. We're rooted in that time, but now we're, we're really focused on exploring the expansion of industry that was happening at that time. So Detroit was, you know, the population was 1.5 million, which is so much more than it is today. There was um, so much happening, but right uh, there, but then there's a there's a place where suddenly the development stops and we're in the woods and the expansion of that and that tension between the expanding city and the the remaining mystery of the woods and and I think that's something we've been exploring in this production too. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, what do you want uh, general audiences to take away from this production? So the average theater goer, or maybe they're not a theater goer, what is a large lesson that you want them to take away from seeing our production? You know, even though I'm a professor, I don't like teaching lessons. I don't I don't want people to come to the theater thinking that they're going to be lectured to or that we're going to be teaching them something. It's not about that. Um, and I also don't think it's about general audiences, I think it's about this specific group of humans that are in Michigan right now in this moment um, at MSU and, you know, the audiences that we've come to know uh, and the artists that are involved in creating this piece. So it's about that. It's about that synergy. So, you know, I'd hate to say this is really what I want you to learn from it because, you know, like any any parable, there's there's an intention, but into the Woods has so many of them. Like you can just pick any lyric and there's this little kind of nugget of wisdom. And what you do with that is up to you. If you're, you know, if you're, if you're ready to hear this one particular thing, um, then that'll be the right moment for you to hear it. But I think it, for me, it goes back to um, community and resilience. Like those are the, those are the main things that I want people to walk away with. The, the show takes you on this wild, fabulous journey, and there's no way, unless you've seen it before, there's no way to know what's coming next. So it, it really, at the end, I think, leaves us with this feeling of no one is alone. And, and in order to succeed, in order to thrive, we can't do it solo. We have to do it together and we have to redefine what our communities look like, what our families look like, and we have to we have to fight. So I think that's the the feeling I'm going for, particularly once we get to the end of the show. But you know, if someone walks away and with 
with the idea that they shouldn't go into someone's garden and steal their beans, like that's great too. Don't steal the beans. Right. Um, and if you do, be prepared to face the consequences. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so on like certain lines in the show, what, without giving away any spoilers, I guess, what would be one of your favorite little one-liners or little things that the characters say that you would say is um, super exciting? The witch at one point says, I was just trying to be a good mother. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, I won't give anything away, but like, I think that's true of, you know, all of our mothers. And yes. we have, we have moments when our, we know when we're, I, I don't know, I'm not a parent, so I can't really speak to that aspect of it. But, you know, as, as you... As you get older, you start to think of your parents as people and, and start to understand the flaws and all of that stuff. So it's it's a really fun thing. I, I think another favorite line of mine is probably, um, uh, it, I'm on this mother theme, but um, Little Red at one point says, I'll be your mother now. And uh, you kind of have to see that moment in context for it to make sense, yeah. but it's it's a really... It's a really rewarding moment that connects to the whole community and family thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So also with me today, I have Vaughn Haynes, who is an actor in this production. Um, if you want to talk a little bit about who you're playing and your role in this show. Absolutely. So, uh, hi. Uh, thanks for having me, Bree. Uh, I'm actually playing two characters in this show. I am playing the steward and Cinderella's father. Uh, an interesting thing about both these characters is you'll notice they don't have a real name. They're both defined by what they do. And that's how a lot of the characters in the play are. We have Cinderella's prince. We have Jack's mother. We have the baker, the baker's wife. So a big challenge a lot of us uh, have been facing in the cast, uh, that's been a lot of fun to work around, is making these characters our own. Um, and especially since I'm playing two characters, uh, one of the fun challenges I've had is differentiating between the two. Uh, you know, you can do... They both function in very similar roles. They both serve other people. With uh, Cinderella's father, we have that family with the evil stepmother and the stepsisters and Cinderella. And the steward, he's the servant to Cinderella's prince. And it's just been a, a lot of fun uh, learning how to differentiate between the two and make big uh, differentiations between the two. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so what has been your favorite song or scene to work on in the show? Oh, gosh. My favorite song or scene? Uh, if I had to pick, it'd probably be one of the two finales, uh, either to Act 1 or to Act 2. Cinder uh, Cinderella. Sondheim. <laughs> uh, he's such a genius when it comes to composing music and writing the lyrics it's i couldn't name any examples off the top of my head but just when you listen to how what he does with the words and how he has these intricate rhythms and how they layer over each other it's just the most complex and crazy sounding thing it's you really have to hear it to believe it yeah, honestly, and it's really interesting you say that, Vaughn. We actually have a clip of the cast performing the Act 2 finale. So let's listen to that now.
Yeah. You so, know, I, I I just want to jump in. The this is something that is, you know, deceivingly complex. This is a show that's done at high schools all over the place, Into the Woods Junior, and you think, look, can't be that hard, right? But when you really get into the nitty gritty of songs like that with all of these layered voices and the complexity of the speech and the and the speed of it, um, it it really does take a lot of very close work around the piano and then a, very, a lot of very specific choreography to uh, to get it right. And you, you want to get it right. And that's one of the really big satisfying things about it is we have this super challenging music, but then once it all comes together, it sounds incredible. Yeah, for sure. Um, Derek, I'll ask you the same question. What is your favorite song that you have already staged or seen? Oh, God, that's so hard. That's so hard. I I fall in love with the shows that I direct, so right now it's it's kind of all of them. And at the end of every night of rehearsal, I go home with a different song stuck in my brain. I dream about it, and then and then I start all over again the next day. Um, I really enjoy Your Fault because, you know, same thing. It's really deceivingly complex. It's very fast. It's very catchy, but it's also, you know, as, as an acting teacher, I'm always interested in things that are about action and that are that have where where characters have clear conflict and there's so much conflict it's like a a melee a really wild argument set to incredibly intricate music and it's such a joy to watch them all go at each other's throats and then finally come to a conclusion at the end that oh it's this person's fault um i, I just get chills whenever i watch that song yeah, the intensity of that scene is crazy, and just to come to the conclusion that really it's everyone's fault and no one's fault mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, going back a little bit, you mentioned how these characters don't really have names. Most of them don't anyways, and I was interested to hear your thoughts on that and why Sondheim may not have given these characters names. Oh, gosh. I, I'll say that in in rehearsal and, you know coming from maybe a, a different place than, um, than Sondheim and Lapine were in in 87, it's sometimes hard to say, okay, Baker's wife, cross left. You know, it's, it's hard to refer to the characters in these very reductive terms that, um, that don't celebrate their individuality. But I, I mean, I do think that's the point, right? That's the point. The named characters are the ones that we are meant to empathize with and the ones that we are meant to, well, I, you know, now that I even say that, I'm not sure if I agree with what I'm saying. Like, so, you know, and it's hard to talk about this without giving anything away, but, you know, you look at the characters that are there at the end and you look at the characters that we lose along the way and there's there's no there's there's no way to make sense of that so so i don't know maybe it maybe it has to do with these original fairy tales and um the the idea that w the audience is supposed to put themselves into these roles and to see themselves in these in these particular journeys so that they can learn from it. So if it was, you know, if the baker's wife was was named Brie, then maybe I would be less likely to to think of myself in her or journey. Or to relate to her yeah, in maybe. the same way. 
But I think that's a great question. I will probably come up with a better answer, like, as soon as we, you know, end the podcast. Yeah, and I think <laughs> also the characters where we do know their names, Cinderella, Little Red. Mm-hmm. Um, I well, think we don't know Little Red's I name. Gu- I guess not. We just call her Little Red, right? Or Rapunzel. Yeah. Um, they're, like, storybook characters that already have those names, but we see, like, Rapunzel's prince and Cinderella's prince. They don't really ever even get names in their fairy tales. They're kind of just... Yeah. There are these ambiguous characters that are just, that's just the prince. They're like symbols. Yes. More than, I guess, actual real life yeah. humans. With but names. like Vaughn was saying, that as an actor, that's a challenge, right? If you're playing one of the princes in this show and your, your job, like dramaturgically in this show, is to be a jerk, to make the audience hate you, right? So that we can love Cinderella, so that we can empathize with her. Well, how do you you know, how do you flesh that out and make it a full human being uh, and find motivations for all that stuff? I think that's that's a good challenge for people. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I can get into a little bit more about my role and how I play into this show. Yeah. Um, so just to refresh, I'm Brianna Kubiak. Um, I'm a stage management major here at MSU. And 2020 is actually the year of the stage manager. Yay! Because really? it's been 100 years since stage managers actually joined the union, the Actors' Equity Association. Ooh, that's awesome. cool. Um, so celebrating that 100th year, it is the year of the stage manager. Um, so some people might not know a lot about what the stage manager actually does. So in short, the stage manager just tracks all the technical elements of a show during rehearsal. And then once the show starts and once that curtain opens, the show is handed over to them. Um, and then they call the show and then they have the light cues and the sound cues and all those scenic shifts and the wonderful things that you'll see in Into the Woods flying in and out and all of that. Um, the stage managers are also in constant communication with all the designers and the faculty. Um, while also being the director's right-hand man, or woman in this case. Um, They represent the design team and the cast collectively. So they're kind of where the design faculty and the cast meet is the stage manager. Um, So basically, I am in constant communication with directors, so we're constantly thinking about how to keep concept and how to keep the cast on track as far as being off book or by memorizing their music and then... I also have to keep track of what props we're using and making sure the actors are using the correct props or that we even have the props that we need um, and all that kind of stuff. So just a refresher on what stage managers actually do and how they come into play and why I'm here with you guys today. I think a stage manager is the glue that holds a production together, you know, and and when the when the show opens, we only run for two weeks, but, but you know, in, in a professional theater, it could be two weeks or it could be two years or, you know, 20 years. But, um, you know, the, the act of, of keeping the show fresh and keeping the show alive and, and you know, putting in new actors and, and calling the show, I think, is an art in and of itself. Uh, you, you mentioned that term, but in case our viewers don't know what calling a show is, uh, yes. what does that mean? Uh, yeah. Um, so the, the lighting designers, sound designers, um, in this case, we even have media Um, They will all give me cues. So what that means is if there is a phone ringing or a door knocking, um, they'll have that as a cue, and then I have to basically tell that cue when to happen in the show. Um, So a character says, um, I don't know, like, I'm expecting Susie at any moment. You know, have to call that little knocking cue because Susie's at the door now. So 
basically they just have to make sure everything happens when it's supposed to happen. And if there's a large sequence of a light cue and also a fly cue and a sound cue, they have to call that sequence all at once. And yeah, like you said, it is an art. Absolutely has to be practiced about as much as the actors will practice their lines. Yeah, you're, so. you're juggling so many balls at any given moment, and I mean, especially in a musical with a with a huge cast, a ton of props, exits and entrances. You're running everything backstage and on stage. Um, you're coordinating things with the with the music director, in in our case, Dave Wendelberger, and everything in this show is scored. You know, to the Sondheim didn't leave anything to chance. So even the even the knocks, like all of these things, have to happen on such a specific moment, and it's a it's a real challenge. Yeah, and um, I don't do it all alone. Um, mm -hmm. I obviously have an amazing stage management team with me. Um, I have three wonderful people that help me track all the blocking and the props, and even the fights and the intimacy. All of that, they help me track that. Um, so that I can focus on reports and making sure you need what or you have what you need and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. All right. So thank you so much, Derek and Vaughn, for coming and being on today's pod. Um, so Into the Woods runs February 14th through the 23rd in the Fairchild Theater in the MSU Auditorium. Tickets are on sale now at WhartonCenter.com at the Wharton Center box office or by calling 1-800-WHARTON. A big thank you to our technical producer, Dan Trago, Dean Christopher Long, and marketing director, Ryan Kilcoyne of the College of Arts and Letters, Department of Theater Chairperson, Kirk Domer, and Theater Communications Specialist, Abby Taikaki, for supporting this project. The opinions expressed on this program to not reflect official entities of Michigan State University. Again, I am Bree Kubiak, and this has been In the Odd, a Michigan State University College of Arts and Letters podcast. You can access every episode of In the Odd at theater.msu.edu forward slash odd. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another behind-the-scenes look into what happens at 542 Auditorium Road in East Lansing, Michigan. Until then, support your local performing arts and go green! Go white! Go white.